0: Um, welcome back um, to Just Talking Business. Um, I am Stephanie Van Bark and I'm a small business owner. Uh, today's guest actually um, is in an industry that is near and dear to my heart, primarily because she and I sort of do somewhat of the same thing. Um, Melissa Hunter Davis, she is a publisher. I won't tell you all of her story. I'll let her do that. Um, let's welcome her aboard. Hi, Melissa.
1: Hello, hello, good
0: morning. Good morning, and thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Thank you for um, You are from Sugarcane Magazine, a publisher. Um, I'll open up by letting you share with us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and what Sugarcane is all about.
1: Yes, absolutely. So, uh, like you mentioned, I'm Melissa Hunter-Davis from Sugarcane Magazine. And Sugarcane is a digital imprint print publication dedicated to global Black art and culture. So we talk about everything about the arts, um, music, dance, visual arts, even though we're very visual arts heavy, we talk about all areas of the arts. And I was inspired to do this a few years ago. Um, I was working in the arts. So my background is in theater and I've worked as an arts administrator. Gosh, like this is 2022, for over 20 years. Um, And that's what I've done, um, arts administration, producing, um, working in theater. That's that's really what my love is. And I was working at a, a cultural um, organization and they gave me um, a job to put together a season for this particular center. And I wanted to do something spectacular. I wanted to do really good work. And when I was going online to research like some of the, the groups that maybe I didn't have access to,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I thought it was really weird that there was just like no one place that I could go to to learn about different artists or different actors or different Mm-hmm. Place. I was like, there's you know, I just thought it was odd. Um, there was things, of course, from music. Um, but outside of that, I, I didn't find anything that was arts focused. Mm-hmm. And I decided to change that. And that's where
0: sugar cane came from. That actually was one of my questions, why art? So now that's good to know. Um, but have you I mean you've been in business from what I can tell 20 years. Mm-hmm. So clearly there was a need for that particular. Yes. Um, program. And, and you know, just in general, a small business, business being in business for 20 years is a big deal. Talk to us a little bit about, um, you know, what you've gone through, I guess, over those 20 years, um, you know, as how you may have had to evolve, um, but still being able to drive your passion.
1: This has been one of the most challenging <laughs> <laughs> I do exercises, and she's a
2: mother. <laughs> <by the way.
1: laughs> One of the most challenging exercises in making your dreams come true that I've ever embarked on. But so I've done a lot. You know, when we started, you know, initially I wanted this to be a magazine. I was like, oh yes, it's to be a magazine. But this was in—it wasn't in 2008, which is when the economy like really, really crashed. Mm -hmm. before then excuse me it was even before i had my daughter so this was 2004 but right about 2004 2005 is when the rumblings of the economy crashing started like the very small kind of trickles like "Mm, this ain't really working out
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and a lot of publishers um had to go digital and they could no longer print because advertising dollars were starting to, to dry up. Right. So that was the first thing and I was like, you know, I would hate to start this and then can't continue this because I don't know how to raise money and I don't know how to sell advertising. Right. So I decided to just go ahead and make this a website. So that's what I worked on and we debuted in 2006. Okay. But I don't know how to sell advertising and I don't know how to fund this. Um, at the time, there were no conversations about funding and arts magazines, yeah. arts organizations. Yes, but I wasn't an, art, an arts organization. I wasn't a 501c3. Yeah. Um, so I kind of didn't really know what to do. <clears throat> and so we kind of went dormant for a while. Okay. And Right around 2011, I started to figure this out. Like, okay, you know, maybe you just need to kind of do this on your own for a while until you figure everything out. So I just kind of started, like, placing stories and then getting small interviews But by 20, um, maybe 2014, and this is a personal story. So my mother dies in 2014. Mm -hmm. About a year or so before that, my mother and I get into an argument. Stupid, dumb argument, but doesn't matter. We get into this argument, and we stop speaking to each other. And one thing that you never do with Melissa, don't ever tell me you're not talking to me, because I will never talk to you for life. I won't call you. I won't text you. Don't carry a pigeon mail oh. no <laughs> mail you would never hear from me and so i was like okay you call me when you want to call and she called mm-hmm. and i didn't answer the phone oh well she wasn't big yet so it was okay so she left this message and she said uh, in another side side note i my mother was very She's a very strong woman. She was very opinionated. She would tell you if you sucked. She didn't care who you were. Right. She might have been nicer to like outside people, but with me, she kept it all the way right, real. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it was bad it was bad. She <laughs> called me and she said, I visited your website. She said, Melissa, it's beautiful. I love what you're doing. Carol Hunter has never said anything like this. I mean to get something like that from her, you couldn't pay her. Right. But honest, to say something like that. And that was really meaningful to me. Okay. Um fast forward she passes away and I started to like make some changes, like smaller changes, and I started to kind of come out more and I took some of my husband's advice. He said, you know, Melissa, I know that you're trying to do an international magazine. He said, but you know, you have artists here, why don't you talk to them? And I was like, you know, Let's see how this all works. Mm-hmm. And as, as I started to change things, and I think we got out a little bit more, and I st- felt like I picked up traction, I was like, maybe this will work. But I was still going to shut this down, because I wasn't getting the response, interesting, I wasn't getting the response locally that I expected.
2: That you expected.
1: Until I got um, a chance to go to a, a luncheon during our Basel. And I was, like, running around that day, but I showed up to this luncheon because I knew the person who was doing this this event. So I just kind of went in and sat down. I didn't know anybody there, but I just kind of sat down and got on my phone. And this guy was sitting next to me, and he was, like, really nosy. And he just turned to me and was like, hi, what's your name? I'm so-and-so. And I started to speak to him, and he said, what do you do? And I told him, and he was like, oh, my God. So he pulls out all this paper from his bag. Like, the total, we got a million tote bags from going to our Basel, right? Right. He pulled out all this paper and he was like, "Look, this is you." He took my guy to black art, copied, printed. You know, it's different when you print from like a website because fifty million pages. He printed every page and circled everything that he wanted to go to. (laughs) Let's get around. And so we talked. I was like, "What?" He wasn't from here. He was from DC. Oh, awesome. He was from D.C. He was an art collector. Um, He was like, I'm a collector. You know, a lot of museums tend to borrow my work when they do shows. And I was like, oh, this is wonderful. And that it was what told me you're going to stop and keep it going. Because that means that you are talking to speaking effectively to people that you want to talk to.
0: And you got it. And people are paying attention to you that you didn't even you weren't even aware that was paying attention. Yeah. And I think that's the motivation that all of us need sort of in that space that you need to be able to connect with your audience. And are you able to do so on a regular basis um, in what you do um, as a publisher? Or are you sort of so kind of removed from it and kind of working in this esoteric space?
1: So I was definitely like living behind a screen. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's no faces, there's no names. But also I'm not getting... um, I'm not getting feedback. But one of the things about, especially the time that we live in now, you just have to constantly ask for what you want. So if you want them to respond to you, you have to talk to them and ask them to respond to you. Right. And that was one that I didn't know at the time. Um, And even now, um, I meet people who will say, oh, you know, I don't brag about what I do. You know, I'll walk into a room. It doesn't matter where I'm at. Um, I'll just walk into a room and if you don't ask me who I am or what I do, I don't offer it unless I have to. Right. So it's always in one of those moments where they stop and go, wait, what? Oh, you're Melissa. So that's when all of this kind of happens. So I I don't, I didn't get a chance to really speak to these people because you, you do live behind a screen when you're doing this. Um, Mm -hmm. unless you're doing events, which I don't do a lot of. Right. Um, not at this time. And I think maybe this year will be the first time that we kind of slowly, Start getting back into events.
0: So, are you a? Um, do you contract out services or do you have a staff? Both. Okay. So
1: I contract out services, but I call them my staff. So <laughs> legally, they're not right. I know exactly.
2: Right. Legally, they're
1: not. But these are also people who have, a lot of them have worked with me for a long time. My editor, I can't tell you when I started using him because I don't remember. Yeah. Um, he's been around for a long time. Uh, one of my best writers was one of those women who called me, who said, I've been reading for you for years. Can I write for you? Okay. Um, and, you know, she's been with me for a long time. Um, my daughter. Okay. My oh. my only, she's my unpaid staffer. <laughs> 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 she's my unpaid staffer. Look, labor <laughs> laws,
0: labor laws. I know, <laughs> but, um, but I do feed her.
1: <laughs> you know, she get a little sick every now and then. She get a little sick every now and then. Um... She's been on sabbatical. This is her senior year. She just graduated and then she just got uh she got caught up in the panoramic. So she's been dealing with that. Okay. Um, this week. But you know, even after that, you know, she helps me as well. So I have people who I, who help me and even though they're they're contracted, they're I consider people more like a family. You know, I, I lean on them heavy for everything that I do. And do you write as well? I try not to, but I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I do. Um, that's the that's the I try of a to
0: small not, business owner.
1: Yeah. You know, I try not to. And it's only because, you know, I I would prefer a particular standard with the work that I do. I'm not saying that I'm a terrible writer, but I was just, you know, one of my writers, Angela. Angela's phenomenal. And if yes. she can just do it, we're good. Right. Um, but every once in a while, if something is something really quick that has to be done and I don't have time to get to anybody, I'll just do it.
0: Okay. Um, so Melissa and I are in an organization called Black-Owned Media Alliance. It's called BOMA. We call it BOMA. Um, I want to start with, I kind of stepped in it the other day. I don't know if you were on the meeting with us when I talked about, you know, sort of there's this mantra out there that print publication is there. Um I don't think that was received very well by everyone. <laughs> so, so I had to backtrack. Um But I mean, you know, what are your thoughts? I mean, you know, obviously print publication is very expensive, um, but there is still an audience of folks that really likes paper, print. Mm -hmm. What is your feeling on that shift and how those in the publishing world are going to have to adjust um, accordingly? So
1: I agree and I disagree. Um, First of all, I'm one of those people who likes paper. Mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. Me. I, I don't like um, I don't like reading I don't like reading online uh-huh. I, I agree. It, it, bo- it just bothers my eyes to sit here like crap I'm like I can't do this all night um, right. so I don't like reading online I like having a magazine I like having <laughs> I like having paper I like the way it feels Right. there we go <laughs> <laughs> I like the way it feels um but you're you're right. I think that um, because we have such we have a lot of access to information now,
2: mm-hmm. it's
1: easy for people to read on their phones or to read something or to read a headline, which is what we really do, which is we read a headline and not okay. necessarily read um read a, a type publication and to be honest with you, when you're taught to read as an adult um and not that taught to read, but I remember reading a newspaper. Uh, I think I remember being told that people really only read the the headline and maybe the first two or three paragraphs. Like you got to cram all that important information in that first because they're not going to read the rest of it.
0: I'm guilty of that. I peruse through.
1: Right. So that's not something that's unusual. That's something that people do. Excuse me. It's something that people do. Um, It's it's, it's not unusual. So I, I think that's where we are. You know, we have such quick access information. There's almost no need to pick up magazines the way we used to. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are still people who like magazines and it's a like cult following almost mm-hmm. because there's certain things that you just can't get online. Certain things don't translate well. Right. Um, if you really like um I have some, there's certain, you know, um literary magazines.
0: Right.
1: You you're better reading that at the beach with a, a book in your hand. Honestly, for an art magazine, it's great to see those images online, but it's actually better to have that magazine in front of you to be able to look through it and and take time with the art and really look at it. And if you did what I did as a kid, I used to, to get the art out and yeah. put it on my wall. You know, everything from, you know, rap magazines, like Word Up to my mother's old art books. Right. So that was something that you can't do that online. So I think that there's still a, a world for print. Mm-hmm. Um, I think things have changed. I just also think you have to make print You have to make it work for you. And if you can make it work for you as a business and you can give with the audience, what they want, you can pull it off. You may need to change your distribution. You may need to drop your price. You may need to drop your page count, but I think it's still, I think it's still possible.
0: possible. So I I noticed on your website, there is a subscription. You can subscribe to your newsletter online. Um, How, Are you pricing, and you don't necessarily have to get exact prices, but how are you looking at pricing your print publication?
1: You know, that is something that is very difficult for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I priced it. I, I thought about how a lot of magazines price theirs. So, like, I think you can get Vogue. Well, Vogue has changed from... 12 months to six i
2: believe
1: Mm -hmm. i know that because it changed in the middle of my subscription okay um because i kept getting the magazine a couple years later like why are you still sending me this like this expired month ago was because they changed the the amount of time that they print so they gave us extra extra okay so i think about you know how do i make this work Um, as a small business, because I don't get the same volume discount that maybe a vote is. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just tried to make it attractive, you know, and on par with, you know, other magazines that are actually larger. Um, But just to, to get this out, just to be able to get to get into the game. Okay. I really haven't figured out that pricing yet, but at least if I can get in, I'm open to making those changes um, as needed. But I also don't want to make it so high that it doesn't make sense.
2: Absolutely. I mean,
1: print is expensive,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but I just can't charge you $75. I know but, I can pay for that.
2: It's going to have to. Um,
1: yeah. So I just you know, had to realize, even if I have to eat this because I know that it just covers postage. Mm-hmm. And from right now, that's what we want to do, which I think um, by I'm saying competitors, but we're not really competing. But if you look at other magazines, we're doing the same thing. You know, the subscription is simply pays for postage. Um, it's a way to have them distribute because they make money from advertising. Right. The most hands, they'll make that money back.
0: Okay. Um so you and I know uh, another publisher who I interviewed on this show as well who who struggled through he he said that he actually um felt more of an impact with the 2008 housing bust than he did with the pandemic that actually was a learning experience for him and now we're here in the middle of the pandemic um was that the same situation for you and um under both circumstances i think you said with the um with the housing bus you just decided to sit on it for a while what was your um did you learn some hard and fast lessons and what was your shift um during the pandemic
1: i learned a lot um not only um not only doing business but you know who i worked with and who i did business with mm. um i really had to make some some changes and I had to do some pivots as well because I work in a field where you know my advertisers do events they put on exhibitions they do physical things and all of a sudden Mm
2: -hmm. we
1: can't go anywhere there's no events there's nothing else to do um so they're all scrambling as well so that changed a lot for me Mm -hmm. um I did go digital in a different way um I started off doing something just to in my mind was to keep people busy and I was thinking, you know, what do we do on Saturdays? I said, on Saturdays, we go to art talks. We go and we talk to, you know, artists and curators and thought leaders. Mm -hmm. That's what we were doing on the weekends. So I started doing a series of art talks on Instagram that did really, really well. Um, even got the attention of Instagram. They, um, they promoted some of the work that we did. So that was really interesting. Um, so I learned a lot about diversifying my audience, and I also found that audience. So go back to that story that I told you, the guy mm-hmm. from how I met him randomly. So in joining some of the um, social media platforms, we would have these talks, and I would start meeting people who never put name to face, even people that we'd interview, mm-hmm. um, that maybe somebody else wrote about. But I made a point to never put Melissa out front.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Always a brand. I'm like, don't pay attention to me. I don't matter. Go look at this. And, but that gave them a, ch- a chance to see, oh, that's the girl behind the curtain. Right. We didn't oh. know that you were. And so they would tell me all these stories about, you know, the, the importance of this. And it gave me other opportunities. We're now um, a part of the Smithsonian now. It's like a really right. new, big deal. And that, that pandemic really forced me to pivot and got me out of my comfort zone
2: mm-hmm.
1: and really opened up things for me. It didn't always translate financially, which was the problem for me.
0: Why am I not making money? <laughs> so, so. You
1: loved it so much. I need to keep this going. <laughs> but it at least opened me up to realize that that audience there was really hungry. Mm-hmm. And I had to use that hunger to leverage what I needed to do to make money. Um, now things have changed a lot. Um and I'm happy with the changes that I've made. I feel like I've gotten out of the worst and I do see a light at the end of the tunnel, even though we are smack dab in another
0: recession. Right, right.
1: Um. But I do see the light at the end of the tunnel because I've, now that I know that audience and what they look like and what they're going through at this time, I can maneuver.
0: Right. Maneuver
1: well. So I did, I learned a whole
2: heck of a lot.
0: So do you feel like also this, you know, Unfortunately, during the pandemic, the the mantra of the fake news started to become a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do you think that has had impact on what you do in the publishing world in in its totality, um, or is as it like you um, force people to sort of pivot how they're putting information out, and ergo, you know, seeing light at the end of the tunnel of you know publishing sort of remaining that staple when it comes to sharing information.
1: Sugarcane is a very niche site.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we, we deal in facts. Um, and we also deal in a thought and opinion.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We're, we're talking about art. We're not talking necessarily we're not necessarily talking about politics. There are some political issues that we need to tackle, like when you for example, um when we talk about um, maybe artifacts and you know stolen artifacts from the African continent.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That kind of becomes a little political maybe sometimes. Um, we did cover um, at least one controversy that happened during 2020,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but for the most part, we're not talking about that. And I speak to an audience who researches a lot. So mm-hmm. we're talking to people who buy art, um, either for themselves, for corporations, for institutions. Uh, we talk to curators who need to be able to pull information. So for them, it's not fake news. They know that it's based in research and facts. Mm-hmm. So we don't, we're lucky that we don't have that problem.
2: Okay.
1: What it does put me in line for, and I think this came up in a conversation that we had in BOMA, it does sometimes put me at the bullseye for racist trolls.
0: Yes, having conversations
1: about oh, you're just talking about black people. This is just about black. What are you about? That's when all of this like can blow up, right? <laughs> so, and I honestly, just have to push things to the side and just move them along with okay. that. Okay. Um, okay. That's probably the only thing that can be tricky. so we don't have to worry about the fake news. I am worried about because we've seen all the polls. For my folks on the other side of the media space, right. so people who are talking about news and talking about hard facts, we've already seen what that means. We know that nobody is watching local news anymore; right. they're typically watching national news, which doesn't cover you know everything happening. Correct, in correct. And we are dealing with people who don't believe what is being told to them because they see, you know, spin has always existed. There's nothing new. But I feel like now we see the spin. Right. And that's you don't know what to make
0: of it. Exactly. Right.
1: You know, like, I know that you're lying to me. Or I know that you are just wording this in a way to be nice. Or I know when you are evading a topic or question. Right. And you're still not giving me what I want. And what makes it even worse is that it shows up
0: in our government sometimes. So we're... And we have certain... Publications and media that they're just centralized on one subject and just centralized on the other and they're opposing opinions. There's right. no real balance between what you're hearing and seeing. It, yes. It's very polarized. And and so it, it becomes difficult to assess what's true.
1: And we're, we are more and more becoming a society that does not like education and doesn't value it. Yes. So we're not reading what gets your attention is a headline Uh crazier the headline the more you'll pay attention but you still don't typically read it or you go to like a to maybe like a shade room or even the washington post which is doing this really well um you're reading a bite-sized amount of information but you're not nuanced so there was something in the the maybe almost on cnn about this guy who got monkeypox in jamaica and he was a tourist and when he was hospitalized and found out he had monkeypox, instead of staying, he leaves the hospital and like, I want to enjoy my vacation. And he leaves. And that was the headline. So I reposted that and like, you know, put like a little message like, guys, be careful. And somebody who lives there said the headline is misleading. That's really not what happened.
2: Okay. See- you know, exactly.
1: So, but that's what we love. We love the, the salaciousness. Um, We are a a culture that is really big on um, social media and really big on reality shows. So I think as Americans, we need to change the way we prepare ourselves and actually go out and take in media so that we'll be
2: better informed.
1: So Stephanie, I think you have left me. Uh oh! I turned off my phone, so I can't.
2: Uh-uh.
1: She'll be back.
0: I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. I was like, "What? Oh my God! What went wrong?" <laughs> That's okay. It's okay. I got it. So okay, okay, okay. Right, we, we just edit that part out. Thank God for for not streaming love. Um, not streaming live. Um, um. So we were talking about um, you, you received or you posted an article, and someone said that wasn't how that happened.
1: Right. I think what and what I was. I don't know if they're going to keep it in, but what I was saying is that as Americans, we need to really take time to change the way we allow ourselves to be informed and start to make reading something that we actually like and do again, because that's where this all falls apart. You know, like had I read this, you know, I probably would not have paid attention to the headline. And I've seen that plenty of times where you have this great headline and then you read the story and it's either a different story or it's a crappy story. It was right. so bad, when you're like, wait, what?
0: Why
2: so, did
1: I do that? It yeah. But it's just, I think that's just, we're so, we like salaciousness. We like, you know, reality television. Yes. We yeah. like social media and that changes how we perceive things. And it changes how we take in information or why we won't take information. Right.
0: In. And, and time we- too is a factor. And I think that's something we need to get at as part of our health and wellness. We talk a lot about health and wellness, but nobody talks about slowing down. Right. So reading forces you to start, slow down. You've got to stop, you've got to absorb, you've got to pay attention. So oh. even if you do it just for the health and wellness aspect of it, it will force you to, like you say, really have all the information that you need to make really good decisions and decide if this is a good idea, you know, this is good information. Or not. But you tapped on what we said, we actually, we were, we were going to talk about right before we got started. Um, you know, we're a member of Black-Owned Media Alliance on BOMA. Um, a subject matter came up with regards to, is this, Deemed a racist organization, or the information that we're sharing is racist. Um, I think you and I both believe that that is not true. Um, let's talk a little bit about the need for black-owned media organizations. Let's use this as a teachable moment. Right? Why is there a need, and also, you know, what does this organization do? That you know, so we're very clear about it. it's not about. Down in others, it's it's mm-hmm. about uplifting us.
1: It's it's really about advocating for a group of publishers who um, who publish news and, and information on across all different platforms, but who need someone to go into the world to advocate for them. That's mm-hmm. what we do. We advocate for each other. Um, we remind the world that we exist. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really unique. If you look at South Florida, we have. What's, there's 17 of us in the organization, but there's actually more than that based here in South Florida,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. which
1: is really unique because looking at Dade County alone, there's what Af- under half a million African, half, half a million African-Americans or people who identify as Black that live in Dade County. But we have over 17, probably close to 2025 publications yeah. that aim to speak at this particular community. And we receive less funding. We receive... Um, the least in advertising sales, um, but we have over a million readers per week on our platforms. Mm-hmm. So it's really just an organization that advocates for a group of publishers who may not get the same opportunities as non-Black media here in, in, in right now in South Florida. That's all we are. And when you talk about Black media, it's a Black a company that's either A, because you can be Black-owned but not actually focus on a Black audience, Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of it. Or you can be Black-owned and talk to a Black audience, but it's really just talking to a niche. Mm-hmm. It's talking to a group of people who have certain values, certain buying habits, um, certain okay, personalities, personalities, certain culture, and you speak to that culture. Right. The same way you have um, had Italian-American newspapers, the same reason why you had Spanish-language newspapers, mm-hmm. especially a group of people who had a, a, a required niche. The same reason why you may love conservative media. Conservative media talks to people with a certain culture, certain lifestyle, certain way of viewing the world,
0: certain beliefs. Yeah,
1: that's it. It's it's nothing about being racist, and this came up, but I won't tell you where. I'll tell you about that offline. Okay. Because it's black media doesn't mean that it's just for black people. Right. Means we talk to a particular audience, but I would. You know highly suggest if you're not black that you make it a point to make black media part of your um, reading list of everything that you do so that you can learn about an audience that you may not have access to. I don't mean you're maybe one, two, three, four, ten black friends and that's not and that's not even uh, maybe comedy right, comedy. right. but I mean just in reality you're speaking to people that are probably like you because they have certain, you know, certain likes and cultures. You, even though you may um, ethnically be different, but it gives you a chance to look into a whole world that's speaking about things that you wouldn't consider, that you wouldn't know about. You know, brands that you may not have access to are probably right. part of that. Um, all types of conversations that you know are necessary. You know, are necessary to learning about the world that you don't necessarily have access to. Just because we say that we're black owned or that we focus on black doesn't mean so. And if you want a great example, look at Telfar. So I love Telfar bags. I think I have, I think I have one. Why do I have one? But my kids have more than me. Oh my God. So my kids have a Telfar bag, but I do what bags. Are you about
0: to go take those bags away from those babies? <laughs> no, I'm gonna buy
1: myself a bag. of Telfar bags.
0: baby. Anyway, okay,
1: so look at Telfar. It just occurred to me. So look at Telfar, right? People who wear Telfar, it's a black owned brand and it's a very, it clearly identifies the black owned brand, you Mm. know, and his models. But all types of people wear Telfar bags. Exactly. White men, black men, white women, black women, Hispanic men, Hispanic women, all have these, all have the Brooklyn Birkin. Yes. You know, they all love this bag. And even though it's clearly a bag by a, a Black man who all of his um, all of his imagery uses Black bodies and, you know, very, very Black um, black slang and Black speech, mm-hmm. it's still something that people get into. And, and part of it is definitely because of um, a generation that right. maybe doesn't have the same boundaries that we did. Right. Um, but also, you know, I heard about so far Before, my kids hadn't told me about Telfar. I heard about Telfar in a forum for professional women who were looking for an everyday bag. And that's how Telfar came up. They were like, you should consider the Telfar bag. Because it's not leather, if it gets wet, you won't be upset, but it's still stylish. Right, right. So, you know, those are things that you need to have conversations about. So it's really important to, like, just take that in. When I was in high school, there was a magazine called Yoke. And I could never find it, but I always wanted to find it. it it's no longer in, um, in publication. Mm-hmm. And Yoke was for Asian Americans. Okay. But I remember hearing about it and it just looked cool. Like, you know, and I was like, man, if I ever see that, I'm going to pick up a copy of this.
2: Right.
1: You know, I'm not Asian. Right. <laughs> just, I'm, at, I'm not and Asian. fashion and there you would wear too. Right. Yeah. I've never even been to Asian, no Asian country. But I was still like, I really want to read this because I was interested in a different point of view and different information. Um, So that's what I was thinking about. So I think that's important. And also Black publications will give a chance to people who look typically who look like them. So that audience that looks like them will probably give them opportunities that they could not get at another mainstream publication because it's just, there's far less competition but more opportunity. Right. So that's why all of these publications are important. If you think that the fact that there's a, a magazine called Knitting
0: World. Right. Because exactly. That's not racist or, or any no. competition. That's just your interest level.
1: And in, and if for people who keep saying, well, they don't talk about race, bam. So take race out of this conversation because it's really about niche.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's about niche. It's not, not yeah. even about race. It's not even about race. It's about niche. It's about niche. Like, if you look at the beauty industry, there are plenty of black women, and you see it if you ever grew up in any urban city you there were always black women who lived in the same urban neighborhoods who went to your beauty salon, who got your same hairstyles right. and your same nail designs right right so it's it's about niche and it's not about uh, uh, about race. I think that that's something that we need to kind of take out of the conversation
0: I think sometimes not, those are you know, folks just throwing things out really either out of ignorance or just trying to poke a fight. You know what I mean? It's, it's you know, I think on both sides of any spectrum, you've got to look at it from really what it is, you know, make things better if we don't.
2: Yes.
0: So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, in a $28 billion industry, we are, I mean, it's, it's becoming a very highly competitive space. This, you know, publication, media, information is becoming highly competitive, Um, especially where you and I live. This sort of, everybody sort of seems to be in this space. Um, You know, talk to us about, um, you're clearly in a different niche, but how have you been able to really maneuver uh, this, this, this competition space, this competitive space that we live in um, and and sort of rise to the top and continue to rise to the top?
1: You know, that was actually really hard for me because it has to go back to living behind this computer screen Mm -hmm. and not really getting out. Um, So I remember, for example, when I met Dexter, I met Dexter as something that um, BOMA was um, a sponsor on. Mm -hmm. And somebody had to kind of like slip me in and Dexter didn't know who I was. That was his first time meeting me. But at that point, I've been, I've been around for a while in a lot of different, you know, different spaces, but I've been in this art space. Um, and he didn't know who I was. And it took me a long time to, um, to raise my voice and to be confident in it because mm-hmm. I really wasn't. Um, so that took some time and it, and it takes, it took a lot of time for me to not pay attention to the competition because I thought that maybe I am good enough or I didn't offer okay. enough. You know, because all these things that you think of when you're imposter, good. imposter syndrome. Major imposter syndrome. Right. I battle that every day, right? So like living in my head all the time. Um it was meaning meeting my audience and I think taking myself out of it and like looking at everybody who was out there and realizing who I was and where I fit. Mm-hmm. I think that helped me in the confidence arena. Um, but I think more importantly than that is that I'm always pushing to be good and I have I have a high bar that I'm aiming for. Mm-hmm. I'm not there yet, but I know that because of where I'm aiming, I know that I have to provide something in particular. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what has saved me from probably even giving this up, right. And letting somebody else do it because of whatever reason. Um, and I know that Are
0: you what. Yeah.
2: Are you okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, that's why we don't just distribute here. I've never been, I was, the goal was never to be a local publication. Okay. That was never, that was never the dream for me. Mm-hmm. And not that that shouldn't be, that should be the dream for everyone. I think that there should be like local conversations about everything.
0: Mm-hmm. But that's
1: just not what sugar cane was ever supposed to be. Right. Um, what, what keeps, what makes me lucky that I live somewhere where people come in from all over the world. Mm -hmm. I get this, like, there's an argument that pops up every once in a while about me and covering national artists. And people don't ever understand what I mean by that. So at any point, you can go into any museum here in South Florida and you will see, a lot of them are not from here.
0: Right. They're
1: not exhibiting, not that they don't, but most of them are not from here. They are from all over the world which gives me access to people that if I lived in no man's land, Florida, that I would not have had access to. It would have been a lot more difficult. So, you know, those are people that I talk to. But the thing is, is that Betty Starr was at ICA during December. She was in our last issue. And so that's a big deal for people here, but a big deal deal for people everywhere because Betty Starr is well-loved and well-respected and well-copied. so, right. you know, that's somebody that, you know, we would all talk to. And so those are the kind of conversations that I have to have. And I have to, if I'm going to have these conversations about my desire, I can't have, like, a crappy writer do this. I have Right,
0: to, right. I have to right. To have
1: great photography. It has to be, you know, great work. Right. So that's my aim. I have targets that I aim for. And I am striving to be able to meet those metrics. Okay. So that's what keeps me focused on me and not competition. And I'm sure that at some point in my life, I really need to start doing that because, <laughs> because you know, just like if I think about, you think about the fashion world, Um, everybody loves puffy bags. I hate them. Yeah. Everybody loves a puffy bag because it became a trend. So everybody has, like, their own spin on the puffy bag, you know? So those are things that I probably will need to think about. Right. And I, you know, on certain, certain levels, I will. But for the most part, no, I, I have a I have metrics. I have a place that I'm trying to get to. Right. That's what keeps me focused.
0: I actually agree with you. Actually, I, I think you, you and I are very much aligned. Because when you get in, try to get into other people's spaces. You, yes. First of all, that's not who you are. Right. Second of all, you're spinning your wheels trying to do and replicate. Just do what you do well, and yes, you know, people will receive. Now, I, I, I like to ask working mothers this: um, You're a wife. You're a mother. You're an entrepreneur. Yes. Um you know, uh, I know your day has got to be the business. I think one time we had a meeting, it was so funny. We had a meeting when she was walking through the streets of New York and trying to give her a report at the same time. We were like, where are you? You're having a coat. What is going on? Yes. <laughs>
2: it's like,
0: so I can attest to her day is a little crazy. So how do you manage that? Or are you still working on, you know, Balancing entrepreneur life, which could be a is not necessarily always a nine to five on off gig and raising children who are about to go to college. And, you know, how does that work?
1: Um, I have come to the conclusion that I cannot have it all. And I tell women that all the time. I was like, I know what we were told in the 80s. It was wrong. <laughs> it was because you had a group of women who were moving into a life that they never had. Uh-huh. You know, their parents didn't have you know these big careers and had to raise kids and, and be a wife and deal with ailing mm-hmm. parents. You they know, this all, you. right? They, this was all new to them as well. So this is, you can't have it all. Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. do the best you can. And right. that's what I try to do. Um, That doesn't mean that every once in a while I try to make it work. But when I can't, I will stop and go, you know what? You can't do this.
0: Pick, yeah.
1: pick one and run with it. And that's what I
0: have to do. For, so forgive yourself. Like This is the yeah. moment where I've got to take some time to do right. this.
1: Yes. And, you know, sometimes it is. I had something to really go to last night, but I promised my kids macaroni and cheese. <laughs> And I really, like, I was trying on some clothes, like, what can I wear? What can I wear? And I was like, you might be able to pull this off. And I finally was like, and you got to chop up onions and garlic.
0: No. Right.
1: That's (laughs) Promises baby macaroni and cheese. Go to the after party later. Go make this macaroni and cheese. That's what we're doing tonight. So, you know, that's, that's what it is. You have to decide what's important. Um, sometimes I will answer an email right away because I'm making macaroni and cheese, and what I'll do is I'll like kind of before I send this out, let's think about this
2: real quick. Right. I, I will do
1: both as I cook and then go back and say, all right, this is what you want to touch on. We'll send this off in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I just make it work. I can't do it all. My kids come with me. That's why they say that they like going to galleries and, and museums. I don't think they always do, but, and though they love the arts, so I'm looking that respect, But I know that part of it is the bribe of going to dinner later.
2: You know, right? right.
1: Yeah. So one of the things I love about Pam is that I'll um, at Pam I'll go and we'll see a show, but I promise them dinner at the restaurant. So like we'll do that. I'll let them have dessert and like you know they're good, are full. I'll buy them something from the gift shop and let's go. Right, right, right. <laughs>
0: we'll right, right, yeah. right, my mom. It, it would make you feel a better. My mother was a hardworking woman too, and but to watch her work. And to watch your work ethic really was a reflection on me as I went. You know, I I wasn't always happy about being out. So nine o'clock at (laughs) night, however, in the long run, it did work very well. So feel better about that. Well, before we go, first of all, I want again, thank you for agreeing to do this. Um, this has been a great, inf- great information. And and actually, as you're talking, like there are a lot of things that I feel like we in line in that way. So I feel a better Like, Oh, there's somebody else feeling that way, too. Um, so tell us, how can we find you? You can find us
1: on on the World Wide Web. Remember we used to say that? The World Wide Web at SugarcaneMag.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Sugarcane Magazine. I think across all social media we're Sugarcane Magazine, that's where you can find us. Um, And, you know, we'd love to have you, you know, follow us, get a subscription, sign up for the email, all that good
0: stuff. Okay. Thank you again. And Have a great day. (laughs) Thanks. You too. So thank you, everyone, for joining us again here at Just Talking Business. Again, I am Stephanie Van Bark. I'm a small business owner, and we love it when you tune in to learn more about our businesses. Again, I always learn. I hope you do, too, and I'll see you next time.